Let's pray together. Father, we love you today, and we thank you for your word. The word has voice, and we hear that voice, and we recognize it. It's our shepherd speaking to us, guiding us, teaching us, directing us, wooing us to himself, and granting us everlasting life. Father, may we heed your word. May you speak to us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our administrative good shepherd is away, so some little details are not always prepared as they should be. My stand. (laughs) This is uh, Christ the Good Shepherd Sunday. It's a Sunday I want to emphasize. That's my message this morning. That's the title of my message, Jesus the Good Shepherd, and metaphors matter. When I think about shepherd, and I think about sheep, and I think about that metaphor that seems to extend all through Scripture... I think it's very difficult to improve upon that metaphor of what it means for ministry, what it means for the ministry of Christ. And it's important for us uh, to recognize it because I think it's impossible to replace this metaphor without losing some very significant meaning in terms of what uh, our relationship with God is about and what our relationship to one another in the body of Christ is about. And so let me begin by telling a little story. When I was a member of, of the faculty at Cedarville University, Wherever I was, I was always involved in faculty searches. And we had one candidate come in to present for us. He was, a, uh, he was actually coming to interview for the position of teaching pastoral theology and pastoral ministry. And he had finished his dissertation. His dissertation was upon the topic, the pastor as coach. And he had done a great deal of study, sociological study, all kinds of analysis that he had done. And he brought us his best wisdom about a pastor as a coach And what was interesting was this was a time when, sort of unfortunate for him, (laughs) that there were a lot of coaches who were having ethics violation. In Ohio State, there was a coach who had cheated to try to get some players or whatever. Uh, Bobby Knight, I think, was in the news at that time. And there were several incidences of ethical violation. And we also know that sports are competitive and they're one against the other and only the best players get to play. And so on and on it goes. This metaphor, for me, was breaking down. And so he finished his talk, and it was a good talk. And as a nice guy that I am, sometimes a little bit, uh, I don't know, provocative, uh, Blake, what's your word for me? (laughs) A rabble rouser or whatever. Uh, I raised the question to him, and I said, why would you change the metaphor for a pastor away from being a shepherd to being a coach? particularly in this day of ethical violations and sensing the ministry would be somehow competitive or somehow win at all costs and all this type of things. What have you gained and what have you lost by shifting the metaphor away from being a shepherd? He didn't really have an answer. And so it was interesting to watch that go. Jesus, the good shepherd. Metaphors matter. Could I shift the metaphor and say, Jesus is a good coach. Jesus is a good CEO. Jesus is a good facilitator. It wouldn't hold the same meaning that we are grabbing for as we look at Jesus the good shepherd. And yet at the same time, how many of you ever have ever shepherded sheep? <laughs> how many times have you seen it? Even in our country, we don't have a lot of sheep. We have a lot more cattle than we have sheep. 
And so it's an old metaphor, it's an unfamiliar metaphor, it's a metaphor that belongs in another region of the world, perhaps. I know there are still shepherds in the Holy Land, the Middle East, and Africa, and other places, but here in the States, shepherds, I don't think we have too many of them anymore. And so it's antiquated, it's outdated, it's distant, it's far off. And so why not replace it with a better metaphor that's more understandable to people today, such as CEO, coach, facilitator, whatever you want to name? Does it make any difference in how we perceive our relationship with God and how we perceive our relationship one with another and the leaders of our church, etc., all the things that we watch? Our lectionary text this morning were all related to God's shepherding care for His people. Nehemiah chapter 9 doesn't really mention the word shepherd, but it tells the story of Israel all the way from creation to the time of exile, how God had shepherded His people. He had given a covenant to Abraham He'd, uh, in their exile as they were in Egypt. He led them out of Egypt as God did as He shepherded them out through Moses. He gave them good laws and commandments that might flourish in the land. He even shepherded them during the rebellious season during the wilderness. He led them into the land so they might flourish in the land and they rebelled again and they went into exile and God is going to shepherd them back to the land of Israel as a good shepherd does. Assam, thank you Suzanne for reading that and having us all read it, doing it differently because that is such a significant psalm, and it's not just about death. Sometimes we only use it at funeral services, but it's about life, how God is our shepherd. And we do not want for any good thing nourishment and direction and protection and uh, comfort, uh, abundant provision for our lives. And surely, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. We had a lady in our church in Ohio named Shirley. And I said, do you have a sister named Goodness and Mercy? Surely in goodness and mercy will follow. <laughs> that sort of ruins that. Uh, I ruined the sound for you next time you hear it. <laughs> and then you have First Peter chapter 2, where Peter is talking about, it's kind of interesting, he's talking about uh, government. And to a certain extent, government has a shepherding function. Uh, David was the shepherd king who guided his people. And the kings were supposed to be shepherds. And to a certain extent, Rulers and leaders should be shepherds to their people, promoting the good and, and rewarding the good and punishing the evil and protecting the people and having that sense of protection upon them. So it's interesting that he points out governmental relationships. He points out employee-employer relationships through the metaphor of slaves and masters. But then finally he says, he begins to speak to the people about their condition of their lives right now because they were suffering. And they were suffering unjustly for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so who does he point to? He points to Jesus Christ, who suffered unjustly for us, for our sins. And he says, you were wandering out there like sheep who were without a shepherd, but now you've returned under the shepherd and bishop, overseer of your souls. He takes two of the most prominent names we know of for leaders of the church. Shepherd is poimen, which is the Greek word which means shepherd, but it's also the word we translate quite often, pastor. Jesus is the shepherd, pastor of our souls, and he's also the overseer. That's uh, episkopos, which means bishop. Jesus Christ is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And that's not just in a leadership sort of way or a teaching sort of way, but it's also in a living sort of way. He's the shepherd of our souls. I love that expression. He's the shepherd of our souls. He watches over us in our lives. 
And I want to focus this morning on John chapter 10, where Jesus Christ brings out the good shepherd metaphor. And I want to give you three contrasts, three ways to fully understand this text. And the first thought is this. You cannot fully understand John chapter 10, the story of the good shepherd, without first understanding what happened in the prior text in John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind. If you remember John chapter 9, we read it a couple weeks ago, there's a tremendous comparison and contrast between Jesus and the leaders of Israel. There was an individual who was blind from birth. He needed to be healed. And when Jesus came to him, he healed him. And he had him go to the pool of Siloam and washed after he applied mud that he made with spittle and, and dirt, applied to his eyes, and he went and washed himself. And he could see. And this was on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, so what? <laughs> the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what? So what? But for the Pharisees, this was all important. It was critical to them that this man had been healed on the Sabbath. And so when you watch the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they were much more concerned that a Sabbath law had been broken than that a blind man could now see. They were more concerned that their power and control of the Jewish people's faith was preserved than that a lost sheep had somehow been found. They were more concerned about saving face before the people than saving souls. They were more concerned with their reputation than a blind man's restoration. And maintaining the integrity of their religious system meant more than the improvement of the life of a human soul. And when you get to the end of John chapter 9, the end result is that this man who had responded to them saying, you know, you say this guy's a sinner, but God apparently hears him because who knows of anybody who's ever healed a blind man from being blind. And what do they do to him? They excommunicate him from the synagogue. He can no longer, you're no longer part of us. We send you away. Because I was healed? Because I'm pointing to Jesus and praising him? Yes. And what do they call Jesus? They called him a man who has a demon. A man who's crazy. And that's the same result that they do at the end of chapter 10. Jesus has a demon. Jesus is crazy. And he's talking all kinds of foolishness. So we have this wonderful contrast. And to a certain extent, the Jewish leaders, I think, maybe were better CEOs than they were shepherds. They were better coaches. They were competitive. And they were power-mongering. And they were uh, wanting the best performers. And they were dispensing of those who were less significant. And instead, they were called to be shepherds. So when Jesus came to his allegory of the good shepherd, John tells us in a sort of parenthetical statement, they did not understand what he was talking about because it was, you know, they couldn't relate to being shepherds. And obviously they couldn't because they weren't shepherds themselves. Their hearts were distant from what Jesus was teaching. So you cannot fully understand John chapter 10 apart from John chapter 9 where Jesus touches an individual and saves him from blindness and saves him from eternal damnation. The second point is you cannot fully understand Jesus' mission apart from the shepherd metaphor. We use metaphors to carry meaning for us. They help us understand things. And sort of like vessels, they carry meaning inside themselves and help us to understand. And those of you who are good English uh, grammarians, you know that I just used a simile to explain a metaphor. <laughs> Forget that. <laughs> 
Jesus is uh, called a lot of things in Scripture. He's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king, a lot of, he's a Messiah, he's the anointed one. But the name shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd, somehow carries some meaning that the other ones don't. And when you watch it working, you watch that metaphor working for us, it tells us that he, his ministry is personal. It tells us that his ministry is relational. It tells us that his ministry is sacrificial. He leads his sheep. He feeds them. He guides them. He nourishes them. He lays down his life for them. He is the good shepherd. There are anti-types in this text which are in contrast to Jesus. Jesus says some people try to come in not through the door, but they come in through illegitimate means, and they are thieves and robbers. Their relationship to the people is not that they care about them, but they come to steal, to kill, and destroy. They do not have the intent of blessing the people. They're all about themselves and what they might gain. And they are illegitimate, thieves and robbers. Obviously, he's talking about the rulers, and they weren't getting it. They couldn't hear what he was saying. He also calls them strangers. Strangers don't know your name. You don't know a stranger's voice. And when the stranger speaks, you don't follow because who are they to you? You have no relationship with them. And so he calls them strangers. He also calls them hired hands. They care nothing about the sheep. They do not risk themselves for the sheep. When a wolf comes, what do they do? They flee because they do not own the sheep. They don't have an investment uh, in their lives. And so as Jesus talked about the rulers and leaders and religious leaders, and you can expand that to the whole world as far as how religions sometimes work, they're thieves and robbers, strangers and hired hands. And instead, who is Jesus? He's the good shepherd. And as you walk through this text and you realize how Jesus is explaining his ministry, he's telling you this. He enters his role by legitimate means. He was sent by God. And he represents God the Father to his people. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows your name. You know his voice. When he speaks, you recognize his voice. He leads his sheep out of the sheepfold to nourishment and growth. Psalm 23 supports that as well. He distinguishes those who are his own to sheep who are not his own. He goes before the sheep. He leads the way. He leads his sheep to abundant life versus stealing, killing, and destroying them. And he says he lays down his life for the sheep. And this metaphor extends in so many different directions and ways. But if you remember uh, uh, Revelation chapter 5, when there was no one found worthy to open the, the scroll that was in the hand of God the Father as he sat upon his throne, who appears in the midst? A lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. So this metaphor we have in Hebrews, Christ is the priest and he's also the offering. Here we have Christ is the shepherd, but also the sheep that's offered, the lamb that's offered for the sins of the people. And so this metaphor just extends. He lays down his life for the sheep. He owns the sheep, deeply connected. There's a sense of ownership between himself and the people. And as a good shepherd, He's also aware that there are other sheep out there that don't belong to a flock. And he casts his eye abroad. We didn't read this portion of the text, but the metaphor goes on in chapter 10. But down in verse 16, he talks about other sheep out there who do not have a shepherd. 
and they will also come, and he will also bring them, and there will be one shepherd and one flock. Who is that other flock? Well, the first flock is Israel. It's Israel. It's the people of Israel whom the religious rulers had some authority and power over. So the other flock that Jesus Christ is going to bring also and make into one flock, that's us. That's most of us. <laughs> we may have a few people of Jewish descent here. But he's calling the Gentiles. He's making a place for us. And there'll be one shepherd and one flock, and he's going to bring them all together in his vision of what ministry is all about. Unifying the whole body of Christ, Jew and Gentile in one body, through the sacrifice of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that leads us to help us understand what the church is, right? Helps us understand the church is all people coming together with one shepherd, one flock, representing uh, God's people uh, throughout the world. So you cannot fully understand John 10 apart from John 9. You can't fully understand Jesus' mission apart from the shepherd metaphor. And you cannot fully understand the church's mission apart from the shepherd metaphor. We read 1 Peter chapter 2, and it talks about Jesus Christ being personally our shepherd and overseer. Peter was an individual who had many messages from Jesus in times when Jesus spoke very directly to him. John 21 is one classic example where Jesus said to him three times, do you love me? And Peter affirmed his love for Jesus, and Jesus said each time in response, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, the sheep metaphor. Did Peter get his message? Years later, Peter's writing in 1 Peter chapter 5, and he says this, So I exhort the elders. There's three words for pastors in the New Testament. One is uh, presbyteros. You hear presbyterian? Presbyteros, that's elder. We call ourselves presbyters uh, in, in our denomination. So you have elder, presbyter, shepherd, poimain, which is pastor, and you also have oversee, which is uh, episkopos. And that's overseer. Those three terms are the common terms for leaders of the church in the New Testament. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter uses all three terms. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ. He had seen Christ suffer. As well as a, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, he'd seen Christ in his transfiguration glory. Here's his command. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd, elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, episcopoi. Exercising rulership and oversight over your flock. Not under compulsion, but willingly. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but, for, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter says, I've got one message to the leaders of the church. Your elders, your, your, your uh, presbyters of the body of Christ. Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God. If you want to understand what your ministry is, feed the sheep. Feed the sheep. Guide them to pasture. Nourish their hearts. Nourish their lives. You have oversight over them, yes, but not as being lords over them, but serving, not under compulsion, but eagerly serving the people and meeting their needs and leading them to, to pasture and pointing to the chief shepherd and the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the shepherd, ultimate shepherd of our souls. 
One of the things I've learned to love about living faith, both in, when I was here in 2019 and now, is that we do shepherd one another. I see this happening on one-on-one levels where people care for each other and touch each other's lives and keep contact and uh, stay connected. I see this happening in morning prayer. There's a small group that gathers every morning at 7.30 on Zoom and they care for each other as a group and they pray for each other and their needs and concerns and surgeries and illnesses and problems of life and their prayer that go up. I see this happening in our small groups as the small groups shepherd each other and care for the people within their midst and meet their needs. And it encourages us to really amplify that ministry and ensure that all people are involved in small groups. I see it happening with a pastoral care team. And we have six individuals who week after week for years have been ministering to our flock, calling people who are having illnesses and surgeries, praying with them, visiting them, taking the Eucharist to them, praying for them as a group, and we need to expand that group as well. And I see it happening as a metaphor that's meaningful for both Father Peter and me as we lead living faith. Our metaphor is shepherd. Do we administrate? Yeah, we administrate. Do we do strategic planning with a vestry? Do we do facilities maintenance with a facilities team? Do we do all kinds of other tasks along with shepherding? Yes. But the chief metaphor, the chief description of what we are called to and what we are to do in the body of Christ is to shepherd the flock of God. That is our calling. That is our task. That's Blake's task as he looks forward to becoming a presbyter. We lead, we feed, we care, we mend, we pray, we heal, we protect, we prod, we nourish, we know, we call, we speak. We are the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, and we point people to the good shepherd, the shepherd of their souls. And I think any time we try to take away that metaphor and change it to something else, we lose essential meaning. If we try to be CEOs, we lose relationship. People are just commodities in our midst, and we use them for our ends. Coaches, we're focused on winning. We value only the best performers, and the other ones can just go off, be by yourself, go whatever. And when our facilitators, that's too passive, it lacks authority. They all break down. The only metaphor that really works, that holds up what we do, we are shepherds. We are shepherds. And we are shepherds to each other. You are shepherds to one another as you minister the grace of God. Gregory the Great became one of the most uh, prominent early popes of the Catholic Church. And he was an individual who you can look at and say, there's a model pope. If there ever was a model pope, it was Gregory the Great. He wrote a book on pastoral care, how his shepherds under him should care for the people of God. And his title that he gave himself was Shepherd of the Shepherds of God. That's how he saw his role. He was shepherd of the shepherds of God. And those shepherds, shepherds, people under them, and people under them, and people under them. And they shepherded each other. What's our takeaway? I'm convinced that when the church loses its sense that Jesus is the good shepherd and our ministers are his under-shepherds and that we all have responsibility to shepherd one another and others outside the fold to bring them in even as Jesus' vision was there, we lose the priorities of the church and we lose our vision for what we should be doing in our world. And so let's maintain that, remembering that ministry is to God but for the benefit of people. It's not for the system. It's not for the institution. It's not for the organization. Ministry is to God for the benefit of people. And as long as we maintain that sense, 
we'll be in a good course under our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning, and we ask your blessing upon us. In some ways, I've sort of set a vision for our church of how we relate one to another, and I feel like that's good to do at certain times. Thank you that you're a good shepherd. Thank you that you know us, and we know you. And when you speak, we hear your voice, and you call us by name. Thank you that you care for your sheep, even to the point of death, even to the point of death on a cross. Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Father, we thank you for our church, and we thank you for how you are calling us to be the body of Christ here, to each other, to one another, as we minister in our midst to our children, to our senior adults, to our children, and, and to our adults and people in the health and flourishing of their lives, and people who are struggling and suffering in various ways. Help us to minister well, and help us always to remember there are people outside, people who should be in this flock who aren't, and that we might be ever zealous God, to minister and care, remembering that that is the mission that Christ came to uh, present, and we are under shepherds of the shepherd Jesus Christ. Help Father Peter and I and others who lead this church, Father Bob, may your blessings be upon us and help us to sense our priorities of caring for people. May we always be your servant and ministers to your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.